There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good evening, my friends. Show about money about to unfold. Uh, hope you have some, and uh, well, that's what this show's all about, to help you have more of it. Indeed, as we uh, head in towards spring, uh, a little spring cleanings, uh, change of wardrobe, optimism, why not? Eh? It beats the alternative. Uh, it's a real pleasure to uh, share with you today uh, Derek DeLay. He's a managing director and head of research uh, right here at Can Accord uh, Genuity. It's a real delight to have you on the show, Derek. Thank you for taking some time out of your busy day to speak with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so De- Derek uh, is a very, very bright man. He uh, is, is always about trend uh, and change, uh, focuses a lot around the consumer, covers uh, various uh, names uh, within the consumer uh, discretionary space, uh, gambling, uh, retail, um, uh, cannabis. Uh, it, it, it's, it's very dynamic what you cover, uh, Derek. But why don't we start with the, the, the broad strokes here, the market itself. Um, you know, you, you had a closed economy with COVID. Uh, there's optimism in the air around the vaccine. Uh, you're seeing some statistics. America is propelling forward very rapidly uh, in its quest to get its nation vaccinated. Canada, not so much. Um, you know, hopefully our province opens up soon. Uh, I think the consumer is itching to spend some money. Uh, and again, I, I, I continuously think, how have these retailers um, uh, survived uh, really the last 12 months and uh, the, what does the next, you know, 12 months hold in store for them? So if I can throw that question at you, Derek, you know, again, a boots on the ground kind of a guy uh, working your way through the consumer channel, uh, you know, from, from retail right through to manufacturing and distribution. What are you hearing uh, about the survival rate, about retail in general? No, it's, it's a good question. And you, and you hit on a, a lot of, I think, what's what was important in 2020 and what's going to become more important in 2021 is, is really, you know, how does the economy come out of what was obviously a challenging year in 2020 from a COVID perspective? And, and while we saw GDP numbers, you know, dip in, in the front half of the year, and then obviously we saw a pretty strong GDP print or better than expected GDP print, at least in Canada in Q4, the expectations for 2021 are, are pretty strong. And, and again, it goes back to Wolfgang, a lot of what you just mentioned. You know, you mentioned optimism around vaccines, optimism around the economy opening again. These are two very, very important factors. And as you guys know, the market is forward looking. So the market does tend to sort of look through what can be viewed as short term and I really hope one time challenges that we saw in 2020 really Q3 and, and Q2 were uh, were kind of the bottoms in terms for, in terms of an earnings perspective from what we saw from a number of, of the companies we cover whether they're retailers whether they're manufacturers and 2021 you know we're hoping we start to see things get back on track you know a little bit but certainly the market's kind of looking forward to 2022 right so we, we all kind of think 2021 the front half of the year is gonna be challenged the back half looks really really strong and then we're off to the races in 2022. So from a fundamental perspective, you know, the market, I think, right now is very, very optimistic. And, and for good reason. Obviously, 2020 was very challenging. When we tend to look at quarters and when we tend to look at companies when they report, we compare everything on a either quarter-over-quarter basis or, more commonly, a year-over-year basis. So as you get into Q2 and Q3 of this year, 2021, for all my retailers, you know, you're facing really what we call easy comps. You know, these companies had 
negative 20, 25% sales growth in Q2 and Q3, that's an easier comp to go against than a, than a quarter when you're up 25% year over year, right? So you're actually going to see some really, really strong, probably record numbers from that perspective. Uh, I think more in Q3 than we'll see in Q2 as we're hoping the economy can be more open at that point. So you're going to see some really, really strong results coming out of these retailers uh, in the back half of the year, and I think that's important. But what I think is really, really key in the market, and, and we've seen this, uh, we've seen some volatility around this recently, like within the last, call it 10 days, has been sort of the lack of other investment opportunities that provide good returns. And that, I think, is what's really held the market up and created this really strong tailwind that we've seen in the market, call it from April onwards. And it, it comes down to bond yields. Bond yields were, up until again a week and a half ago, at record lows. So if you're an investor and you look at the bond market, which historically, you know, you might have a 60-40 split on your portfolio, which has been something that's been recommended for decades and decades, not so much anymore, uh, you know, you're getting a one and a half, maybe if you're taking on some incremental risk, two, two and a quarter percent return on your bond portfolio. That's not very exciting to a lot of folks. So folks were taking what would typically be their bond allocation and putting it in the equity market. And we saw, you know, massive inflows into the equity market over the back half of 2020, everything I'm hearing for the re- most recent RSP season, which ended you know two days ago, three days ago, uh, was that we saw record inflows on the RSP side for a lot of our equity fund managers, which means there's a lot of capital um, that's going to be a- able uh, to be deployed in the back half of the year in the equity market. So as bond yields stay low, that increases the funds flow into the equity markets. Now, we, we have seen a bit of a, of a reversal over the last few days. Bond yields have, have ticked up about 20 to 30 basis points, and we've seen the equity market kind of roll. And in particular, some of the more higher risk, higher beta sectors in the market, particularly those that have what we call long-dated cash flows, not necessarily like companies that aren't making any money today, but companies that are going to make more and, and a lot more over the next few years. Think technology stocks, think the electric vehicle space, um, you know, names like that where you're kind of looking more through to 2023, 2024. As you have an increase in bond yields, uh, the math would say that increases what we call the discount rate, which is, um, you know, kind of financial theory 101. And that has led to a reduction in the equity value for a number of these sort of longer dated cash flow stories. So with that said, Thank you. Thank you for yeah. saying that, Derek. That's actually very, very intriguing to me. I appreciate that statement right then there. Sorry, carry on. So, yeah, with that said, the sector I cover is not one of those high-flying kind of sectors. I cover consumer staples and consumer discretionary, as you mentioned, and cannabis names, uh, namely on the U.S. side. And all of those companies, you know, they generate material cash flow today. So they're not really looked at as these kind of inverse bond relationships. So we actually think we're going to see some good stability out of the retail names and actually some strength going forward. Uh, one other thing I'd mention just in terms of trends, as you asked for, actually two two other things I'll mention in terms of trends. One is, uh, and again, Wolfgang, you touched on this in your open, uh, is the consumer has a lot of discretionary income left over, right? For those of us that were fortunate enough to survive this COVID period with, you know, with our jobs and our careers intact, um, what that led to was a period where we weren't able to spend money on travel. We weren't able to go to restaurants. Uh, for the most part, we weren't allowed to shop in, in, in the stores, inside the stores, uh, like we were used to. We had to, sh- we had to shift trends into, into online, uh, purchasing. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Uh, for those of us that were, that are in that, you know, fortunate situation, most of us have more discretionary income left over today than we did when we started the year in 2020. And you can see that in, in, in the Canadian household debt to income levels, which we track. You know, they really dipped in, in Q3, uh, whereas they've been going up almost sequentially for the better part of the last five years. So you've got a really strong consumer base now that, that's cashed up, right? So as soon as you see the market open, 
I think consumers are going to be ready to spend that spend that cash, right? And you know, we're going to see discretionary stocks should should do pretty favorably in this kind of environment where you've got sort of pent up demand for a lot of their products. And certainly to the extent that you know, airline travel is not a sector I cover, but you know, it's got consumer bent to it, so we we, we do track it. Uh, I you know, I think airline names, um, you know, you're going to see some strong performance out of out of them because I think that as soon as folks are allowed to go travel again, at least from a from a pleasure standpoint, I'm not sure business travel comes back to the to the way it was anytime soon. But from a pleasure standpoint, I think people are going to be vacationing as soon as they're able to get out the doors, you know, later this year when when the vaccines really kick in, uh, at least we hope. Now, the other big trend, so one is you've got a cashed up consumer. The other big trend is e-commerce, right? E-commerce was accelerated throughout the COVID period, which I think is relatively obvious to a lot of folks. But just to put some math behind it, the way we look at it, e-commerce got pulled forward about three years. So we are now at where we thought we would be in 2024 today. And you saw it in a number of different sectors, certainly in, in retail, and we'll touch on some stocks that I cover that, that have really strong what we call omni-channel platforms, both brick and mortar and e-commerce. They did really, really well, and we saw a, an almost doubling of, of e-commerce penetration within the retail market. But an interesting one is the grocery market. The grocery market, which we kind of viewed as one of the last bastions of, of e-commerce, you know, penetration of grocery, um, you know, what do you call it, click and collect or, or, you know, buy online and they deliver to your door. That was about 3% pre-COVID. It's now 10, right? So it tripled. It tripled over the over the COVID period. And again, that's one of the, the harder ones to kind of wrap your head around for consumers that haven't tried it. It's kind of the last thing that they'll try. And we saw a big acceleration there. So e-commerce really got pulled forward about three years and, and it's not going away. You know, we think e-commerce is going to continue to be a, a big part of the consumer story going forward. Well, yeah, again, the, the trends I'm seeing, uh, Derek, again, is uh, home improvement off the charts. Uh, demand to get back into the likes of Home Depot and Lowe's off the charts. I, I'm in the process of renovating a home and looking at some new windows. I was at the window manufacturer uh, yesterday, and uh, they couldn't believe the, the, the flow of new orders uh, coming across their desk. Uh, and, and, and they scratched their head. They say real estate prices are, are basically back at all-time highs. I was speaking to uh, uh, Lamb Developments, and they were uh, saying they're selling condos at uh, $1,200 a foot back down in Toronto. Uh, so, uh, again, you are just seeing the, the effect of easy money take hold. Um, let's stick on the interest rate theme for a little bit, Derek, because, again, it is interesting. In a 1% interest rate world, your first stop for dividend, you know, for, for a retiree or someone on a RIF or even a person entering retirement or even a person who wants something safe and stable, the Canadian banks, um, all yielding 4 to 5% and really still not getting a whole lot of love. Uh, yeah, they're inching higher moving forward, but uh, remarkable uh, the value available in those names, but the market still doesn't care. So we are seeing some rotation, but when I think about uh, a yield alternative or a bond alternative, I think a bank is a, is a really good first point, not necessarily a Bitcoin or, or a marijuana stock. Well, you cover those as well, Derek. Uh, so friends, if you're just tuning in, we got Derek DeLay. He's the head of research and of Genuity. Uh, brilliant uh, man, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show with us. Uh, lots to learn, lots to discuss. Uh, stay tuned. More show right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. When I left your house this morning. Constant. 
Well, cheers to you, my friends. Good evening. It is Saturday night. And, well, yeah, optimism. Uh, you'll get back to your cottage ever so soon. Hope the docks are going to be okay. And, uh, yeah, I know the season unfolds, but a little bit different uh, than it was last year. Uh, better, uh, without question. But we'll have to continue, I think, to maintain a degree of safety and vigilance uh, as we all uh, work our way through uh, COVID-19 in the year 2021. Uh, but uh, let, we have money in our pocket. Uh, I, I, I'm certain each and every one of you has maxed out your RSP because that's what all of listeners of Hi-Fi Radio do. They follow the simple advice that Jack and I continuously offer to uh, individuals each and every week. And again, if you want to become rich uh, and have excess money so you can have a long life and never run out of money and give lots of money to charity, I repeat, give money to charity, is you got to start early and you buy quality and you do it systematically and you do that for 25 or 30 years you play the long game and i promise you in 25 30 years you will have copious amounts of money you know you start with a thousand dollars a month and do that for 25 years you will be a millionaire plus uh it's just it's just the way you need to do it uh so uh, we continue on our quest for building wealth and uh, looking for ideas. That's what it's all about, the ideas that are going to make you some uh, outsized returns. Avoid the bad ones and focus on the good ones. And uh, I do believe in trading and investing in the leaders of the day. Um, uh, you know, when you're, when you're investing in leading companies, uh, it's interesting, Derek, and you know this uh, through and through, leading companies are expensive. Uh, and they're expensive for a reason. Uh, there's a story behind them, there's momentum behind them, there's money behind them, and again, they say on Wall Street, follow the money. But it's, it's remarkable as well, Derek, how quickly uh, the music can stop in our business. Uh, name your, it doesn't matter what sector, what asset class, uh, uh, it's game on and then bang, it's game off. Uh, and then hopefully it resurrects and continues. Uh, you know, it's, it's cyclical, it's, it's just it's very, very fascinating stuff to watch. And again, I've always been very fascinated by trends, uh, you know, throughout my uh, academic career and, uh, and, and, and working career, I've always paid attention to books on trends and I've gotten, you know, Toffler and the likes, they're just brilliant uh, speakers and writers and, and visionaries. Um, and, and Derek, that's really, what, again, part of your game is to try to really look for three to five years uh, and say, you know, what is going to matter? Um, uh, Jed Dorsheimer, of course, one of our sustainability analysts, that's what his game's all about. You know, 5G, 6G, uh, electrify, digitize. Uh, it, it's just remarkable stuff. Um, let, 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 let's remain in your space of the consumer. Uh, we'll start, if, you, if we can, with bricks and mortar and then get more digital with your business. Uh, good old bread and butter company, uh, Dollarama, uh, and the grocery stores. Let's, let's stick on that. Um, uh, grocery stores, you said, have tripled their e-commerce presence from 3% to 10%. Uh, what about the, uh, the, the, the dollar stores? Are, are they, are they going to be able to get into that game as well? You know, it's, it's a really good question. So, um, you know, I'll hark, hearken back to your, to your comment that, you know, good stocks are expensive. It's, it's a lot like anything in life. If you, if you want nice things, they, they tend to cost more. Right. Uh, but over time, you know, they last longer and, and you, and you kind of go to sleep at night, and, you know, pretty well knowing that, that you made the right decision. You know, I, I put dollar around the squarely in that bucket. This is one of the highest quality companies uh, I've ever come, come across in my career. Uh, I would argue it's one of the highest quality companies in Canada. Uh, it's got oh. a very high quality management team. They've got a very strong moat around their business. Dollarama, you know, for context in Canada, has more stores than their next four largest competitors combined times two. So they are the market huh. in terms of in terms of dollar stores, and and they've been able to to. Can you repeat to that math again? That's fine. No, sorry, Derek. Can you give me that equation again? 
Yeah, I know. It, it, it sounds funny when it's you say like, it. Dollarama it has more good. stores than their next four largest competitors combined times two, right? So there's there's nobody that's really kind of nipping at their heels at this point. And, and the reason for that is Dollarama has done a phenomenal job of securing the best real estate. Uh, they've got great relationships with their suppliers, many of whom, you know, over 50% of them are based in China. And they've got over 40 years of experience doing this with, with relatively the same team. I mean, the CEO today still goes to China. Well, I guess not, not last year, but prior to COVID when we were allowed to go to China. Uh, you know, he would still go three times a year and, and be part of the merchandising team and, and buy all the products and, and, you know, think about how they want to stock their store. So Dollarama really is a leader from that perspective. It's never been a cheap stock. Uh, I don't envision it, it, it ever will. It's going to trade at a, at a high multiple, and it does. It trades in the, in the sort of low 20 uh, PE valuation range. But you're getting a really high-quality company with, you know, 30 to 40% return on invested capital, which is phenomenal for a retailer, let alone a corporate retailer, not a franchise retailer, wow. which is what Dollarama yeah. is. So it's a super high quality company. Um, you know, your, your question on e-commerce, they're not there yet. I mean, I'm not sure that they'll ever get there in a big way because, you know, they kind of thrive off that spontaneity in their store where people come in looking for one thing. I don't know anyone who's left Dollarama with a bill under $10, <laughs> even though it's supposed to be a dollar store, right? You wind up buying 15, 20 things while you're there. Um, and that's, yeah, right? and that's something that they leverage. That's uh, a cheap fix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the and then with the grocers, you know, the grocers have actually done a phenomenal job this year of expand, of expanding their e-commerce platform. Uh, and you pro, you guys probably see it just, you know, at home. You see the voila trucks driving around everywhere. You see the longos trucks driving around everywhere. I know I certainly do in my neighborhood uh, to a, to a much greater extent than than what we've ever seen before. Uh, and I think that's just going to be a bigger part of, of of the way people consume in Europe. For example, the grocery stores have have been leaders in e-commerce for a long time. In Canada, we're a little bit slower to catch up. Uh, mostly because the infrastructure wasn't in place and these grocers over the last year were forced to really accelerate their spend on e-commerce, which they did. Um, so this, it's just going to be a bigger portion of the story going forward. And they were, they proved that they were able to adapt, um, you know, which is, which is pretty, uh, pretty surprising for what is, you know, a grocery store business has been a grocery store business for 50 years with kind of very little change. And this was a very disruptive change and they proved that they were flexible, which was, um, you know, a good thing to see from some of the leaders in Canada. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get personal with this one. I'm a, I'm a foodie, uh, Derek. I've uh, taken some culinary course at George Brown recently. Um, I, I just love food, and I, I just find the grocers are focusing. They're not focusing on food anymore. Um, you know, the healthy stuff is in the perimeter of the building, yeah, and yeah. Uh, people spend their, their time in the, in, in the interior of the building. Uh, and on the perimeter, I'm seeing stuff that's mass-produced, done in factories. It's, it's, it's controlled by a few hands. Uh, it's just not it, that, that's the one area I see an opportunity. You know, it's funny. I also see disruption opportunity in, in the uh, real estate business. That's an industry, the, the brokerage industry that hasn't been disrupted yet because uh, everything else seems to be getting disrupted uh, uh, or adapt or get killed, basically. And again, uh, again, the grocers are trying their best to adapt from a technology point of view. But from a, a product point of view, I think a lot of improvement can be done. And uh, otherwise, it, it carves out the, the, the likes for for um, uh, Whole Foods and uh, and the yeah. likes they can create they can create a story and triple the price but it doesn't how about down them keeping it on the fairway give me a nice marbled steak and don't charge me forty bucks a pound for a marbled steak and that that cellophane wrap can't we have a butcher cut the piece of meat for me ah oh, I do miss those days some stewing bones you can't get them uh, uh, I'm off on a tangent uh, well my fashion uh, Jack is my uh, fashion consultant um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Jack why don't you pipe in here and talk uh, with Derek Lou about some of some of his other uh, consumer names. Yeah, Derek's. You know, you've been pretty hot over uh, Aritzia for a number of years now, and obviously it was disrupted uh, because of the virus. But they've also been able to adapt as well by going online. So, 
what's your views on that one going out and obviously the management team there and how they've been able to you know adapt through COVID and it looks like they're probably uh, on the other side of it or coming out the other side I would expect them to to do quite well as the economy opens up. No, I, and I, I agree. And, and again, we, high quality companies, this is right up there. I mean, Richie doesn't have quite as, as as long of a track record as Dollarama. Um, you know, Dollarama has been a been a public company you know, almost twice as twice as long as Aritzia, But Aritzia has done a phenomenal job since they've been a public company. They, I, I view them as an extremely high quality retailer, world class. In fact, I would go as far as, as saying that. Um, and, and you're right. So during the during the early parts of COVID, I'm just going to throw some numbers at you to kind of kind of show. And this this puts kind of retail in context. Aritzia is the leader, don't get me wrong, but uh, it puts retail in context. So pre-COVID, Aritzia was doing about 20% of their sales were, were coming from their e-commerce channel. And that's up from 12% four years ago. Okay, so they went from 12 to 20 and they had a target of being at 25% e-commerce by the end of this year. COVID hit, they were again able to adapt very, very quick. And and a, and a big part of that was was just previous planning. They had built up a, a large e-commerce infrastructure uh, to handle, you know, I don't think they were predicting COVID, but they were planning on going a little bit more international. They were going to have um, a different sort of sizing chart, which is e- easier to do on e-commerce. So they built up a big e-commerce infrastructure, even though it was only 20% of their sales. Fast forward to COVID, you know, we had periods where it was 100% of their sales. They had the infrastructure in place to be able to capitalize on that. So Aritzia didn't lose sales right? They did just a great job of shifting from brick and mortar to e-commerce. Today, when their brick and mortar is, is, is open, and if we just think about it in a normalized environment, we might be a couple months away from that when all their stores are open, um, hopefully less, but let's call it a month. In that normalized environment, e-commerce is now going to be over a third. I'm not sure it's going to quite be 40% in a normalized time. It'll be close, but it's going to be over a third. So we skipped the 20s and we skipped the low 30s in terms of penetration. And again, I'm just talking about how that COVID really did, did just pull forward all the all of these trends in e-commerce. Now, Aritzia still has a very thriving brick and mortar uh, network. They've got 100 stores. You know, I think they've got the ability to double that. Uh, over time, they're very, very selective in terms of their locations. They will only be in Type A locations, and they're actually very selective about where they're positioned within those locations. So they'll they'll go to a Type A mall, but they'll want a very specific corner of that mall, and they'll wait till that lease comes up. What we saw during COVID is they were actually able to get uh, more favorable leases on desirable locations because others were not willing to sort of make that bet, if you will. They talk about you know certain locations where they got them thirty, forty cents on the dollar versus COVID. So the returns when they open a new store prior to COVID were, you know, they targeted a sub two year payback. They were actually doing about 18 months. It's gotten even better since then on, in terms of their, in terms of their brick and mortar. So they're just a company that was able to adapt, was able to take advantage of the situation. And I mean, a lot of that comes to management. Brian Hill, who's founded over is a phenomenal manager. He still owns 25% of the stock has never sold it. Um, and, and the team behind Brian in terms of identifying fashion trends, selling their Ritzia Essentials, having a multi-brand approach, which targets a vast age and demographic of consumers. Uh, I think they've just done a phenomenal job. When you see a strong management team like that, just like Derek was talking about, when you buy a high-quality company, you end up paying more for it, but you end up buying a company that can high-grade their real estate portfolio in a down market, which is, as a long-term investor, that's really what you want to see. You know, we, we, have a say, we have a saying when we think about, uh, and it's a good point, Jack, when we just think about companies in general, um, you know, you could have the best widget in the world, but if you don't have the management team that can capitalize on it, it doesn't matter. So you really got to, you know, company is about having good product and a good company, but equally important is, is the folks that are, that are running that company and stewarding the capital for, for shareholders like everybody listening to this call, equally as important in my view. 
Let's let's take a pivot to uh, another sector, uh, Derek, that you cover. Again, folks, if you're just tuning in, uh, it is Hi-Fi Radio, show about money. Wolfgang Klein, portfolio manager, along with my partner, Jack Hartle. Uh, WolfgangKlein.com. Any questions, uh, please uh, reach out to us. We are here for you. Um, but the cannabis space uh, seems to be running, a, I guess we call it a 3.0, uh, with a new U.S. administration. Um, there's a company I, I, I caught my radar called Grow Generation, um, and it is a bunch of retailers in the United States uh, selling basically light bulbs and kits to get people to uh, self-grow marijuana. Uh, the product remains illegal primarily in the United States. There's a bit of an unfold there, um, but this company's already managed to grow itself into a $3 billion uh, enterprise. It's just been unbelievable. So uh, share with us uh, your views what's taking place in the world of cannabis and, of course, what the Biden administration uh, expectations from the market are. No, absolutely. And, and I think the U.S. cannabis market right now is, is an industry when we just think about you know, all the industries we follow as, as a firm. Uh, you know, to me, this is one that has the most amount of, of, of secular tailwinds behind it. So not only do you have a, a, a new administration, uh, both in terms of the White House and equally as important is the Senate, which flipped to, to Democrat on January 5th. That was really the mm-hmm. big catalyst for, for all of these U.S. MSO stocks that are performing well. Um, you know, you've got a you've you've got a house, you've got a Senate, and you've got a uh, a Congress now that are all sort of aligned, and the Democrats are more favorable towards pro cannabis le- uh, legislation, and I think that's going to be a big driver from a federal level. I'm not expecting federal legalization anytime soon, like within the next 12 months, but I am expecting some key bills um, to and pieces of legislation to get passed in the next 12 months, which are very favorable for the for the space. Uh, second, uh, during, secondly, during, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Derek. We've got about 30 well, that, seconds here. Go ahead. Got it. And that's on the federal level. On the on the, the other big set of tailwinds we see is just on the state level. You're seeing more and more states either approve an, a new medical program or convert a medical program to a medical and adult use program. And those tailwinds, in my view, are actually are bigger in the near term because, for example, Arizona just went rec legal. We just had a vote last Saturday in Virginia where they're going to make cannabis legal in 2024. You're getting all of these states that are that are legalizing their cannabis uh, or, or cannabis within their state. And that, that to me is going to drive just, you know, increased what we call total addressable market or TAM. That's going to increase the TAM in the near term for these cannabis companies. A couple of ones that we really like, I mean, we, um, we have a very big cannabis practice here at Canaccord Genuity. We're the we're the global leader when it comes to uh, to, can- to the cannabis market. Uh, but a name like TrueLeave is one that I really like. Florida-based uh, leading uh, t- leading group in terms of um, profitability. We like CureLeaf, which is the biggest player. We like GTII, uh, and then from a valuation perspective, Columbia Care and AYR are two names that that really stick out to us here as well. Well, the the, the, the space has gone quiet from a retail perspective, and you know, longer-term investors, the cliche is you buy when it's quiet you sell when it's a riot too often retail buys when it's a riot and it sells when it's quiet so i'm trying to help you out here sci-fi radio my good friends derek delay managing director head of research canaccord genuity uh, i can't thank you enough for spending the last half hour with us this saturday night i wish you a safe weekend uh keep up the great work it's a real pleasure to have you as a partner uh, jack and i and our clients really do thank you uh more show coming up right after this don't go anywhere there's more great show after this you're listening to hi-fi radio from global news radio 640 toronto Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. That is a remix of some sort, my good friends. Uh, indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, yes, I went to Cheers in Boston when I was there. What a 
What a great, great spot. Oh, just, just so much fun. And you can actually have a beer in Cheers. Um, so uh, here's a promise, Richard Davis. Next time I come to Boston, I'm going to hook up with you. And we're going to meet at Cheers, and I'm going to buy you a beer. And we're going to uh, get caught up. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. But ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Richard Davis, uh, formerly of Canaccord Genuity, uh, my favorite tech analyst ever. Uh, just an absolute genius, uh, wonderful human beings, hardworking man, super smart. Uh, well, he left Canaccord, but uh, you know, when you love someone, you maintain relationships, and uh, Jack and I have done just that. Richard Davis now is a head of IR and strategy for uh, Unity Technologies. It is the world's leading real-time 3D software company. If you're thinking video games, they're the people. Uh, think of it as an Adobe for 3D, uh, think of a little virtual reality. Uh, that's what Richard is now doing. Uh, Richard Davis, uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us. And how are you? Doing fine. You know, I haven't hopped on a plane for 12 months. And, you know, in COVID land, I think we've discovered that we probably drink more wine than we probably should. And maybe a lot of people play a lot of games. I don't know if maybe more than they should, because we're happy when they do, because that helps us. But uh, we're having fun. <laughs> Drink more wine. Isn't that the case? Uh, yeah, there, there's, there's some statistics around just that, and I yeah. certainly am guilty, I'm certainly guilty of it. And uh, Yes, we will send you another Wolf on Bay Street wine glass. I understand uh, one of yours shattered amidst the uh, – what, were you, were you having a video game? Was your kid beating you at a video Probably, game? Probably, yeah. I have, to put, I, have to put it on, I have to put it on super easy level. I can't do it on anything other than baby level, but that's, that's just my eye-hand coordination. Now, now, Richard, again, you're, you're no longer, I guess, licensed uh, as a, uh, as a uh, research analyst, but uh, you are now an investor, uh, so we can speak yeah. then to a fellow investor. Um, what, what do you make of the market? What I liked about you a lot, Richard, is you, you, would, yeah. you, know, you, you were so comfortable and confident in what you said. And, and, you know, a lot of guys will pigeonhole themselves, like, I'm just an analyst, I'm only going to talk about these four stocks, and I'm not going to talk about the market, oh, yeah. just these four stocks. Whereas you, you would be more than comfortably talk about the market and other companies, uh, and, and share with the audience your, your true belief of all that matters. And I, I really, really have always appreciated that in you. But So give me some market talk. What are you seeing? What are you feeling? What's going through your mind? Well, all right, so a couple things is what, what you find when you go from the investment side to the corporate side. A couple things change is your aperture for the your the way you think about the world is tends to go longer term so you know when you're at a company you're trying to build a business over one three five ten years kind of thing so that's a little different but in the short run it is fascinating watching from our side of the house to seeing the other side of the house and now it's just i, I kind of chuckle because i yeah i can't get on you know watching any of these sh shows on financial shows where every single person have to buy reopening stocks because that's going to surprise everyone. And I'm like, how is that a surprise to anyone? And so, you know, Wolf, you and I have been around long enough to know that the market is kind of tricky. And so the market, most people wrong. So at some point, I think people are going to realize they're going to go, hmm, if every single person says you got to buy railroads, airlines, cruise ships, restaurants, and all the trades have been done that way, everyone's going to be like, wait a minute, who's left? Who's the next buyer? So we'll find out. Um, you know, meanwhile, we're just trying to run our business and build something that we, uh, that we hope is going to be you know, big and exciting and uh, vibrant for many years to come. 
Well, so you're now you're you're now participating in the world of 3D, and I touched on a, yeah. a few obvious uses for 3D. Um, flight simulation across my mind. CAE, uh, a Canadian iconic uh, uh, flight simulation company, global leader in this for that for that matter, just made an acquisition. I think the stock just hit an all-time high. Uh, I assume that there is a component of 3D in flight simulators, uh, and give us some other examples of, of uses for sure. your technology. Yeah, so obviously games, right? So a game is nothing more than a movie where you have agency over what's happening. So if you're watching The Irishman by Scorsese, he's going to set the next frame and you're going to go in that direction. And a game, what it is, is it has to render in subsecond time whatever view you have. So if you want to look left, you look left and it renders a brand new object. So what does that mean? So that's in the game business that works. We have a basically an AR VR overlay on top of Autodesk and a couple other kind of construction companies that you basically are looking at a building in, you know, AR VR and you and I can kind of collaborate and go, well, what does this building look like? Where is it going to fit inside the, the city and things like that? So that's one thing we announced in Q4. Um, so is that, is that, Richard, I want to interrupt this. you. I, but, you know, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. I'm going to back up. Did you say uh, your, your software is now uh, an overlay of Autodesk? Yeah, we're partners with them. They're great. They're great. Oh. They you would design the building, and then you would use our software to take their designs and put it like either you know show it on a desktop or whatever and do that. So it's pretty cool. We announced Volkswagen, so we we basically allow you to config. We allow the marketing department to basically create a configurator in a real time three D engine to show the cars and spin them around in a much more photorealistic way. So we did that. We announced Walgreens as a customer, and they're going to try to use our real-time 3D for their kind of commerce side of the house over time. Hopefully that what happens then is, is once they see that happening, then more and more people will use it. Because, you know, if you really think about the state of the art in e-commerce, it's three JPEGs and a video. And there's no reason why you shouldn't have a real-time 3D object to be able to look at and spin around. In COVID, oh. for sure, what happened was what happened with COVID is all of a sudden, and you've seen this with everything like e-commerce, et cetera, but everyone's like, holy smokes, we really need a digital twin. You know, we need to be able to engage with our customers digitally. Now we may still see them face to face, but to the extent that we want to be able to show our products, you know, in, in on digitally, just a, a flat 2D to, you know, picture is not going to cut it. If you can actually look at it, poke at it, zoom in, zoom out, and, and spin it around, and, and it renders very quickly. That's the trick. Is because we come from the game world, we know how to render things very quickly. So to render something, just to give you not too complicated, but you have to render it in one sixtieth of a second. That's why TV looks real. It is Hi-Fi Radio, my good friends, Saturday night. Uh, going to spend some more time with a very good friend of mine, one of the smartest men in technology, Mr. Richard Davis. Uh, he's now head of IR and strategy at Unity Technologies, formerly uh, a key partner and analyst uh, with Canaccord Genuity. He's always like to maintain a relationship with very good dudes. Uh, more show right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show, my friends. Yes, indeed. Show about money. You know, if you bought the market back when that song was written, which is not an unreasonable period of time, we all remember that song. 
you would have been, oh, what a great investment. Have and play the long game. Right, Jack? Absolutely, Wolf. And have, have people aligned with you that are smart, like Richard. And we certainly developed a good relationship with him over the, uh, over the years. Um, Richard, can you um, speak to what you're seeing in tech land right now in terms of valuations? Obviously, COVID has brought things forward in tech anywhere from three to five to 10 years, depending on the company. But uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on valuations and where does it go from here? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in terms of just business, uh, yeah, yeah, at least for what I know from what we're seeing in our firm, business continues to be, you know, as we said off of our Q4 call, um, continues to be strong and things like that. So that's just generically speaking. But, you know, in terms of valuations, I mean, look, I mean, everyone's stressing out about interest rates going up. There's, you know, interest rates have been low for so long. You remember there's a old saying that the longer a trend stays in place, the more violent the reaction is when, when that trend finally changes. So it may feel like there's not much of a rate change going on, but it just, you know, the reaction seems overwrought relative to the, you know, the fact that it's 25 basis points or what have you. So we'll see. I mean, those things in the end, in the end, what drives valuations of any company is just, you know, long-term kind of growth and execution at building a successful business that over time generates, you know, good positive free cash flow and and good growth and those kind of things. And so to the extent that companies can do that over a long period of time, they're successful. And one of the phrases we used to call it was we said, if you can find companies that grow faster for longer, those are the ones that you'll make a lot of money in. Now, in the short run, who knows, right? Um, what is it? Salesforce had first five years of Salesforce's post-IPO life, it, the stock dropped at least 40%, high to low, first five consecutive years in a row. But the stock is up, I don't know, 30-fold since then. So it takes an iron stomach, you know, to own a lot of these tech stocks. But if you can find really good ones that you believe and have done your analysis and work can grow a long, you know, long time at a high level, then, you know, they're pretty rewarding. Well, yeah, Richard, I just think back to when I was back in my radio broadcasting days, uh, you know, and day trading was just beginning to come to surface. Uh, and you hear people quitting their jobs to become day traders. Yeah, bye-bye. Oh, you call yourself Reddit community now. Good luck on that, too. Yeah. Um, but I think of a company like uh, Amazon. Uh, and again, yeah. you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the swings Amazon had, peak to trough, and would it survive, and how expensive it was viewed in the year of, 2000. Oh, such an expensive stock. How can it ever grow? And if you look at a long-term chart, you scratch your head in hindsight. Of course, hindsight bias. 20 years, 20 years. It's amazing what can take place in 20 years. I don't know. When you speak of a long game, Richard, and, and Jack as well, uh, what time frame do you refer to? Yeah, so yeah, for us, we, we look at one year, three years, five years, and 10 years. And so basically our goal is to and our view is that in the fullness of time, the vast majority of all digital content will be real-time 3D. And if that's true, and we continue to execute, we should, you know, be a successful company in that scenario. So that's our that's our kind of long-term vision. So our job, one of our big themes is we believe the world is a better place with more creators. And that's what we're, you know, that's what we're doing at Unity. Isn't that cool? Isn't that holistic? I like that. Jack, real quickly, uh, the long-term time horizon, what number comes to your mind? 
long term for me is 10 years. And when I think 10 years, it goes back to what you were talking about, you know, at the beginning of the show, Wolf, the fact that if you're going to buy a company, make sure that you buy one of the leaders of the day, whether it's Amazon and e-commerce, Unity, you know, with gaming and obviously virtual reality. Just make sure if you're thinking long term that you're going to buy a high, a high quality company, high quality management um, that has, you know, long term vision. Yeah, no, it, it is very, very fascinating, but it's also fascinating how quickly time goes by. It truly is, and if you just look at inflation and how prices change over time, it's, it's all remarkable. Uh, the journey, my good friends, oh, it can be a bumpy one, but we're here to hold your hand each and every week. The show is Hi-Fi Radio. It's an absolute delight to be able to bring it to you. Uh, I do hope it is of help, and please, if you ever need to reach out to Jack or I, we're just a few clicks away, WolfgangKlein.com. My good friends, be well, be wealthy, stay safe, and we'll speak with you next week. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.